Theatre Podcast, Series 2, Episode Number 2. Hello and welcome to Episode 2 of Series 2 of the Beginner's Call Theatre Podcast. If you listened last week, I hope you enjoyed. Welcome back to the series. We're back in the full flow, the full swing of things with this new format for this series. I hope you're all enjoying it. If you're new to the podcast, go back and watch Series 1. They're still relevant, they're still fun, they're still engaging with lots of great guests. This week, we've got Catch If You Can returning with Charlotte. She'll run you through a lot of shows and opportunities that you guys can get involved with in Theatre World this week, as well as our brand new writing from our new creatives, and you'll hear all about that towards the end of the podcast. It's another great one, so stick around to the end to hear that as well. This week, I'm joined by Sophie Allen, a graduate of Bird College who has spent the last three years working for Disney Cruise Lines. She'll be here to talk about that experience in that part of the industry and a few tips if you want to get involved in that, uh, as well as other things along the way, about a lot about her training as well, which is really, really interesting, a really cool insight into the training that she received at Bird College. As usual, you can follow everything on our social media throughout the week that will give you all of your latest podcast news, including guest announcements, extra things, and all the links to the Catch If You Can opportunities that we put up later in the show. But without further ado, let's get into the interview and let's introduce Sophie and she will talk to you about Disney Cruise Liners and enjoy episode two of the Beginner's Call Theatre Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Beginners Call Theatre Podcast. This week I'm joined by Sophie who will be talking all about her career so far and especially talking about uh, work with Disney Cruise Lines as well uh, and much more other things besides as well. So hey Sophie how are you doing? Are you good? Hi I'm really good thank you. How are you doing? I'm very excited uh, to be here. All good, very excited to have you on. Uh, As we start each week, we'll do what we do each week, and that is give you 30 seconds to talk about yourself, your performing background, uh, yeah, and a little bit about what you do in performing. Um, So I'm Sophie Allen, I'm 24, Um, I'm from the UK. Um, I went to Doreen Bird College when I was 18 for three years, and then I headed out on Disney Cruise Line. I was working on board um, as, I don't know if I can actually say what it was, um, but I spent a lot of time with Cinderella and a dancer on board the ship. Um, And then unfortunately in May, I had to come back to the UK due to COVID, but I'm very, very excited to see where my performing career is going to take me. Yeah, Yeah. sounds great. Uh, Yeah, you spent a lot of time with Cinderella. A lot of time. (laughs) Three years, yeah. Three years. Um, So what made you originally want to do dance college? Um, I wanted to go to dance college because I felt like I needed to have that extra level of theatre training, dance training. Um, And also my parents were very avid about me getting a degree because obviously drama and dance is a very precarious career, very precarious industry to go into. It's always good to have that prior academic attainment. Um, And also the college I chose to go to was Doreen Bird College in Sidcup. And I went on their BA Honours degree programme, which is linked with Greenwich University. Um, And it's just a brilliant college because you learn a multitude of different performing arts skills. So you do singing and that covers the musical theatre styles, pop styles, legit musicals, all your different forms of singing. We also would do voice class and voice anatomy. So you'd learn all about your voice, like problems people have in terms of acting and singing. We would then have acting class as well, which was again, you've got your musical theatre, your very, you know, twee twee, um, performances, but also you would have very serious and meaningful pieces that we'd have to do and also in second year you could specialize so you did musical theatre projects or acting projects and also at the college they are very very heavy about creating performers that are very well-rounded you know very ready for the industry very ready to audition for all different roles so they train you to try and be the best you can be in all of your different genres. So we would do ballet, tap, jazz, contemporary, hip hop. Um, So I wanted to go there just to make me a performer who was ready for the industry. And it was a good choice. It was a good choice. It was a great college. 
Nice. So you talked a bit about your training in terms of, I mean, all of that combined. I imagine it was quite an intense day to day life. It is. It, I could not have um, estimated how intense it was going to be. You start the college and they expect you to hit the ground running. There's no time to be finding your feet with anything or, you know, getting homesick. You need to be ready to go. You'd be straight in. You do one class of ballet and then they stream you. So from set one to four, um, they expect you, if you're in set one, you're on point shoes. If they say we're doing point class today. So obviously on the very tip of your toes and things. Um, and they just throw you straight in. They let you know how it is. They tell you, this is what the industry is like. This is where we expect you to be. There's no room for people who you'd get shy. You know, some people didn't like singing very much. They came to the college being very strong dancers, but you need to learn to sing more or less to get a job in the industry 90% of the time um so people crying and being shy they don't have time for that you know they need to be put to the side you need to be ready to go it was really intense it was Monday to Friday some days we're talking eight in the morning till seven at night and then you know you've got to do your showering getting your lunch ready for the next day and obviously if you're on the degree course as well you've got to do all your academics as well during the holidays so very intense but then again you know you get out of it what you put in so it was yeah good that's really cool. so you feel like do you feel like it prepared you for now you've gone into the real world and had that sort of real world experience working with a company do you think that your training matches up to your real world experience so far 100 percent. the college the college at the time if i could go back i wish i had appreciated it more but obviously when you're in your second year and you're 19 and you're like god i've got to get up at eight to go and do tap and then ballet um you know, you don't always see it in such a positive light, but reflecting on it, it was so important that I got up early and went to those classes because if you've got an audition that starts at nine o'clock at Pineapple Studios, you have to be outside that audition at eight o'clock, you know, full hair, makeup, all your dance shoes in your bag, which means really, if you're going to look the part, you want to be up at five ready to get the train early, you know? So it's that... It's not just the actual vocational skills of dancing and singing. You need to have that discipline as a person to survive in the industry, definitely. Fair. I mean, yeah, definitely shows why I do not do any of those dancing things. <laughs> I don't think I would be prepared for that intensity. It's intense, um, definitely. Absolutely. Um, what do you think is like the best thing you learn from your training? Is there one thing that you sort of brought through to moving forward in your career or is it just like this the general sort of work ethic and intensity of it all um I think at Bird College we always say where performance counts and that is the main thing because before I went um before I booked Disney Cruise Line I had some auditions for Royal Caribbean and just auditions here and there like I got to the end for Matilda on the West End and you see some girls and they are such talented technical dancers and such talented singers but then when it comes to the performance they just don't fully hit the mark because it doesn't shine through you know like selling the character really selling the dance and I think at Boat College that's something that they would drill into us like I had a um I had a ballet teacher called Mr Tribe Ben Tribe absolutely incredible ballet teacher and he used to really push for that in ballet class so you could be you know you have to be technically correct have the turnout have the lines but also he'd say where's your airport mon show me your face who are you performing to where's your audience because you know that's what books you the job that's what the people pay for their tickets for in the theaters you know yeah. definitely no great yeah I think I think that's something yeah that probably from like the stereotypical sort of view is that the dancers are just dancers that do the dancing but it's all about that sort of thinking about it's another layer of adding character and adding sort of performative element rather than just being sort of technically accurate 100 percent. and like if you imagine going to see phantom of the opera i would say the majority of the audience aren't going to be looking at those dancers feet they're going to be looking at their faces what story they're selling and i think it's very easy when you go to dance college to get wrapped up in the technique. You always need to make sure you're showing the audience that performance and why you love dancing. You know, that's it should be able to be seen all the time. Yeah, no, great. So moving through and moving on, you've graduated from dance college. Yeah. Uh, so what were your next steps into sort of forming a career and sort of building up your portfolio? 
Um, in all honesty, the first six months you're poor. <laughs> poor, poor, poor. There is no more student loan. There is no more, you know, that student finance, those benefits, nothing. It is just raw. You are in the industry. You've got to figure out how you're going to pay your rent, get your food, and how you're going to pursue this career. So to start off, if I'm completely honest, I had two jobs. I worked in a CAF and I worked at Charlotte Tilbury. And I was very, very fortunate that during my last term at Bird College, I had done a lot of cruise ship auditions, but obviously I'm very, very small. I'm only five foot one. So um, I would get very far, but then I'd get cut because I didn't fit the height bracket. And obviously that's essential for the shows. Um, so when it came to August, when I just graduated and I went to the Disney audition, I felt like I was very prepared because I'd had that industry experience. So I was very lucky that I did the audition and I booked the job. And they said to me, you're going to start in January. So for six months, kept working at Charlotte Tilbury, which was brilliant for the makeup, you know, always good to have extra makeup if you're a performer. Um, so I stayed there, got a little a bit more skills um, in terms of makeup. And then I flew out in January to work for Disney Cruise Line. And I continued to work with them for three years. And it was absolutely brilliant. Nice. So the way it works with them, obviously, as it is with a lot of things, it's contract based. So how does that work in terms of for performers getting those contracts? So you'll tend to get a contract, which I find most performing ones are between eight and 12 months, depending what company you work for, what show you're doing, if it's a new show, etc. cetera. Um, for Disney Cruise Line, the term I was on was January until September. So we did January and February. We were in Toronto and Canada rehearsing, which was absolutely incredible. They paid for you to have... Um, an apartment that you shared with some of the other girls in your cast um, and the rehearsal studios are just across the road so you're there Monday to Saturday Sundays off to explore which was great so we went and saw Niagara Falls and things which was great experience and then from the March until the September you are on board you live on the cruise ship um, eat sleep work everything happens on the cruise ship so and then you, you have to make sure that you get a good name for yourself because then you just send the email to the casting, you know, I'd like to come back and they'll either offer you another contract or you're back to seeking employment again. Depends yeah. it's gone. Yeah. Nice. Cool. And moving into sort of, yeah, you're moving through again, this sort of timeline of what you've done so far. You're then working with Disney on the cruise ships. Um, so, yeah, what would you say for anyone that hasn't done it or is maybe thinking of it as a potential career move? What are the, the big pros that you found of sort of doing cruise ship work and specifically Disney or just sort of the whole experience? I'd say so pros um, looking at Disney specifically they're such a good company to work for because of their HR policies and how protective they are of you so all of my flights were paid for luggage is paid for taxi from the airport is already paid for it's um, they have an agreement with them so you literally just sign the check and they drop you at the hotel at the apartment everything you can imagine is sorted for you um actually because I'm obviously English and my the character I performed with you know friends with Cinderella um the character I performed with had an American tone they actually got me a private dialect coach so I would have one-to-one -one sessions um making sure I could solidify that American accent because it's so important to have that so they really look after you both personally and professionally um in terms of the cruise itself, the person get to see the world, you know? So on the cruise ship I was on, I got to go to Canada, America, all around the Caribbean from Barbados, Mexico, Jamaica, Aruba, so many different ports of call. And that's all included in the job, which you can imagine in no other industry are they like, yep, yeah, no problem. <laughs> go to Mexico for the day, <laughs> we'll pay for it. So it is, it is really, really good. And also you just meet so many different people from different walks of life. That's the big one. Lots of different religions, cultures, languages. Um, so that can really broaden your horizons, you know, open your mindset a little bit. So definitely just, just expands your life and your knowledge of things, definitely. Yeah, I think especially with now the 2020 we've had and lockdown and not being able to travel, I feel like the opportunity potentially for people to get out and see the world and sort of get paid for it is probably going to be a big incentive when Absolutely. we move hopefully forward into when everything hopefully opens up again in 2021. Oh, All being well. 
obviously cruise ships i imagine will probably be quite far down the list of things that are able to reopen but um yeah um if there are any there may be sort of the cons of it for nice unbiased nature were there any things that you found hard let's say less cons more stuff that is challenging difficult about being on a cruise ship uh for such a long period of time um i definitely think the pros do outweigh the cons but like everything there are negative aspects to being on a cruise ship um i found the seawater because the shower water is recycled seawater so it's got loads of chlorine in it it can be very harsh on your skin on your hair um i know some people with eczema it flared it up but that's just mm-hmm. you know one of those things you're living on a ship it's never going to be luxurious in terms of the water you're showering in um I would say on a serious note, though, if you're suffering with um, poor mental health, then I wouldn't recommend working on a cruise ship until you've really got that um, well looked after, because obviously it can be quite dangerous if you're in the middle of the ocean and you're not feeling happy. If you are having negative thoughts, um, that could be quite dangerous. But also, even though you are amongst lots of people all the time, you are away from home, away from family for very lengthy amounts of time. So that's something to definitely bear in mind. As brilliant as it can be, if you're suffering with poor mental health, I, I would wait it out and not go straight away. Yeah, and as you said, sort of pre-recording, there is a big pressure on being in character and sort of, I imagine that sort of smile and cheer from the moment you sort of step out of your cabin into any sort of guest area. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's like anything. If you're going to look after guests, people are on their vacation, they're on holiday and Disney is, you know, the happiest place in the world. So that's what people want to see. And obviously I can be completely honest. The majority of the time I did feel like that. They look after us so well. No wonder we are happy all the time, but it's, you know, real life. People do have down days. People will have awful things happen back at home and they're stuck here. So it is going to have negative effects. So I definitely recommend just not accepting a cruise contract if you're not um, content with yourself. That's one of my things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I think in terms of intensity, and we've talked about that quite a lot so far, (laughs) moving from like dance college and doing that training, which is super intense, I imagine cruise line work is equally as intense and full on. Yes, absolutely. Especially if you're working for Disney Cruise Line. the kids are out all the time so they're going to want to see the performers that's what they're there for they're there to be entertained you know so there is a lot going on um and there are lots of different things different events that happen on the ship you know you've got royal court royalty where they get to meet the princesses you've got princess gathering where you've got cinderella Belle, ariel tiana they all do a big gathering together um mickey mouse comes out in all his different outfits Chip and Dale come out on the beach at Castaway Key in the little beach suits. Um, so it's all going on. It is, you know, you don't have a day off. You are working those straight six and a half months. You may have days where you don't start till four because you're in Mexico, but it is, you don't have a day off. So if you want to have a nice chill job, don't work on a cruise ship because you're not going to be chilling that much. I promise yeah no yeah you need a good yeah and again going back to your training a good work ethic and a good like constant yeah you're constantly on a good routine definitely I think you need to be able to manage your time effectively you know we have great parties on board I love the social life it was brilliant but you know some girls if they've got to be working at eight o'clock in the morning and they've been out partying till four mm -mm, not a good decision yeah um yeah I can imagine here we are it's week two of catch if you can and as usual i am joined by charlotte how are you doing this week had a good week yeah i've had a good week how are you i'm all good ready to crack on with more things that you can see and do in the world of theater mostly online currently still as we are still in the grips of lockdown 2.0 but hopefully as we move through the series there'll be more and more things to see in person uh charlotte do you want to hit us with the things you can see this week all right so the southwark playhouse they are live streaming uh, the premiere of the fabulous fox sister by luke bateman and michael conley it is set in new york in 1892 in cape Fox, the woman who inadvertently invented seances, is holding her very last one. A final audience gathers in her apartment to watch as she conjures the ghosts of her two sisters to tell the story of their lives and the religion they accidentally began. 
The show will be on the 4th and 5th of December, and you can tune in either to a Saturday matinee or evening show that, that will be on both nights. It's 60 minutes and it costs £15. Um, and then we have Kick It Down Productions, who are in collaboration with the Playground Theatre. They will be sharing all their digital work over December. So back in March, they read through 700 plus scripts and they selected 18 to form the lockdown lift-ups. They will be live streamed on YouTube on various dates. So go to their company's website to see the full list of dates and when to book your place. The event is free, but they are open to domination, uh, donations. <laughs> Uh, the scripts are wide ranging from pieces specifically written for the screen, that screen being Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, etc. And also a whole bunch of radio monologues. Um, and then finally, uh, the Royal Exchange Theatre in Manchester. Uh, they, now this began on the 1st of December. Uh, they are doing All I Want for Christmas, 50 artists, 6 streets, 25 performances, 1 Greater Manchester. It is a digital advent calendar. Uh, that journeys through the tower blocks of the city centre to the terraces of Glebe Street in Lee. It's inspired by and celebrating the, vo the voices of Manchester. And you can join them every day in December up until Christmas Day via their website or social media platforms. And it starts at 10.30am every day. And all you have to do is go to the website, open the little door on your advent calendar, and behind you'll find stories told by Hollywood actors as well as community ambassadors. Um, so some of the celebrities that are getting involved are the absolutely fantastic Russell T Davis, um, Shobna Galati, and also Maxine Peake as well. But there are loads and loads of new creatives who are doing it as well. Perfect. So they are the things you can see this week if you want to get involved and get creative yourself. What are the things you can do this week? So we have one talk this week, and this is back to Kick It Down Productions, who have been very busy. They've been bringing lots of new work out. Um, they are hosting a talk each month where artists share their lockdown experiences. This month is Eileen Gonsalves, who was the AD for the uh, 2017 Tempest at the Barbican, which is the one they do with Intel. It was a fantastic production. I saw it. Uh, she's also a teacher at RADA and UW, UWL and is also an actress. So just go to kickitdown.co.uk to have a listen to that. Perfect. And I think you've got one more final treat for us as well to end this week. Uh, yes. Uh, so lockdown... Um, seems to have unleashed the inner artist in a lot of us. So again, I thought I'd mention Kick It Down Productions who are looking to develop an isolated gallery um, online and they are actually looking for submissions. Uh, they want your sketches, paintings, photos, short films and pieces of poetry. So if you want to get involved with that, email kickitdownprod at gmail.com. Uh, also, the Royal Exchange, if anybody's in Manchester, they are looking to recruit for their, uh, in January for their young company between the 1st and 13th of December. They're looking for theatre makers, writers and performers between the ages of 14 and 21. Uh, so go to www.royalexchange.co.uk slash what's on and tickets slash young company recruitment for full details of how to apply and sign up to their one of their workshop sessions. Um, and the last thing I thought I'd let you all know about is something that I found called Levo.co.uk, who can provide you with the best seat in the house without leaving the house. They are the world's first virtual reality content platform that are dedicated solely to theatre. It offers a fully immersive 360 degree VR experience that transports you into the audience <clears throat> as some of the best live performances on demand and from the comfort of home. So they have loads of new works by emerging companies uh, to also critically acclaimed productions. Um, they have like an ever-growing content library that has something for everybody. So just go to their website for full details on how to get this amazing experience. And I believe if you sign up now, you get a free VR headset. You don't want to miss that out. Free Ooh, funky. Ooh. Free things. Everyone <laughs> loves free things. Um, cool. Thank you, Charlotte. So they were the things you can see, uh, things you can do, things you can get involved with this week on this part. Catch it if you can. Charlotte will be back with us next week for more things to see and do in Catch It If You Can. But for now, have a good week, Charlotte, and I shall see you next week. You too. See you next week. Uh, so while so you've done three years working for Disney, yeah. obviously done lots of different places, uh, lots of different cruises, and then early this year at the start of sort of the pandemic, you were on board one of yeah. the cruise liners when everything happened. So how was that experience from your point of view? Obviously, a very you're already in the middle of the ocean, sailing around in your own sort of bubble. How was that sort of watching it 
develop from on board the cruise ship and how much of information did you have and then how was it when you locked down on board it was just completely surreal if I'm honest because I feel like it really did come out of nowhere in the beginning of January you know there were a few bits about it coming up on the news but I never could have guessed that it would have happened this quickly and escalated so much so we were in Canada in January and we had a big conversation about it as a company, you know, the COVID is in um, Toronto, only two people have it, but, you know, please wash your hands, please, please be careful. But we were still going out for dinner all the time, going to the shopping centres. It was like just in the back of your mind, you know. And then when we got on board, the first two weeks we do crossover. So we, we do the rehearsals in the evening and crossover from the other cast to take over for our six months. And we noticed that the sailing list, where if you are crew, you can book your family on for a cheap price, it's huge. So all of these sailings have been cancelled. And that's when we were all thinking, oh, God, you know, if guests aren't coming to sail, something's gone wrong. So at the end of our two weeks crossover, we were called into the theatre and they said, sailings have been cancelled for five weeks. So... You guys, we basically had a party. We just had a party time. We thought, you know, all right, five weeks off, cruise ship, this never happens. We were ready to be going full out. But no, we started having a party for about the first week. But then more rules and regulations came in. And it was like, you know, you can't be having the gyms. People need to make sure they're social distancing. Um, you still have to abide by all like the protocol. People can't be getting really drunk, all the normal things. And then about two weeks after this, um, the penny sort of dropped and everybody realised cruising isn't happening this year. You know, nobody knows an end date to this. And it just did escalate so rapidly. So we were called into the theatre again, beginning of April, and they said, you're all going home. Like, you're, we'll contact you as soon as we can. We'll bring you all back, um, you know, pay you 30 days. That's it. You're going home. And because obviously being from Norfolk, there weren't any flights to Norwich. So my manager just said to me and my best friend who's Australian, he just said, girls, just hold on for a week and we'll sort you out of flights. So we held on and mid that next week, the CDC, which is um, Centre of Disease Control in America, they announced that actually you're not allowed to fly domestically. You can't leave. And we were like, no. This can't be happening. So that's when we realised we're not just on the ship anymore. We are mm. literally stuck. Stuck on the ship. Anywhere. So um, by that point, how many people were left on the ship? Had everyone else in your sort of crew left by that point? No, not at all. I think we still had something like a thousand crew members on board because lots of the islands, the Caribbean islands, had completely um, closed the borders and said no one's coming in. And obviously if the flights weren't running, like, you couldn't get Australia without going by New York or LA and the same with the UK. So my friend Jordan and I, we couldn't get home. So there were loads of us on board. So it was like, we used to call it a ghost cruise because we were all there, but the guests weren't. But you know, the guest food was all on board. The guests, so, that's all that mattered. Honestly, the cheesecake, it was brilliant. <laughs> but then after about a month, it did get a bit weird because I'd have the BBC News app and it was mm. showing you all the death rates. It was showing me North Italy had shut down and all these things. And it did make you feel like, is this like crazy apocalypse happening on land? And we are in this little floating bubble. It does, I've tried to not get too up in my head about it because there was nothing we could do. And I feel like it was just gonna freak me out. Yeah. So, but Disney looked after us, you know, they did entertainment evenings, so many fun things. And then they, actually transferred me because I was and the other people from Europe and the UK onto another ship the original Disney ship that was in Florida called the Disney Magic and we sailed across the Arctic and came home Fair. so they did get us home safely but my goodness <laughs> why well, was not what we expected not the normal lockdown experience that everybody else had had up until mid-May yeah I mean while everyone else was sort of sitting at home doing zoom quizzes you were floating around trying to see if you could actually get home to begin yeah, with. not knowing not having a clue what was happening there in terms of that in terms of sort of being in the middle of 
the ocean how much contact did you have with home could you sort of get opportunities to speak with home and speak to your parents how did that work um disney did provide us all with free wi-fi the whole ship had free wi-fi but obviously it wasn't strong enough for everybody to facetime so they started giving us 30 minute packages to um facetime home but also i was really lucky that i had a maxi plan so if we were ported in florida or where and could just offer florida I could still FaceTime and call everybody. So that was really good. My heart did go out to people on board who couldn't get hold of their relatives. And some people did pass away from mm. their families, which, you know, from my perspective, my friend and I, we were having a great time, but for other people, they were desperate to get home and you just couldn't. Like there's yeah. nothing that could be done. Yeah, I suppose that is one of the things of, yeah. There, if you, all the ports had shut and they're sort of cruised, I mean, there's still cruise ships like, docked off the coast of the uk just sort of yeah. sitting waiting it's all very eerie um yeah, yeah. the sort of weird place at the like best of times but imagine in that sort of situation it becomes even more like you said like a ghost ship and like a ghost cruise but we were so fortunate it wasn't like any of the cruise ships on the news where you had people thank goodness you know that we didn't have people that were committing suicide we didn't have people that were dying of covid we actually didn't have covid on board at all whatsoever so we were very very felt very safe there because obviously mm -hmm no one's getting on or off and we don't have it on board we're getting temperature checks twice a day we were very probably in the safest situation you know but that's what i was worried about i was thinking if this is actually happening on land in the normal world are we gonna be like stuck here forever because we mm. we haven't got it you know it was um very strange very strange time some weird like film yeah you can imagine yeah, that being some sort of hollywood blockbuster just stuck on a cruise ship Honestly, like I am legend, that film, that's what it seemed like. I just didn't know what was happening. I was like, are we going to be just stuck here? You know, it was crazy. But so, yeah, so you're now back in the UK, you're back home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but reflecting back on your time with Disney and with the cruise ships, overall, I think I could probably guess your answer, but you would you recommend it to people certainly starting off in their career, coming out of college, either drama school, dance college, whatever? Oh, absolutely. I absolutely would. Because you meet so many different people to open up your eyes because you tend to be, you know, slightly younger if you've just finished university or training. So it's always a good thing to do just in terms of life and having those life skills. Um, but also you do get those savings and that money under your belt. And Disney is such a, like I said, a very protective company. They really look after you. So in terms of your first job, I don't want to say spoon fed, but you are just very, very catered for, looked after, um, which is always a great job to start out. And obviously that money can then help you move on to do other things if you do want to break into West End and theatre work. So absolutely. 100%. Great. Cool. And then moving, yes, yeah, sort or of carrying on down the timeline, obviously lockdown, we hope will start to ease now mm -hmm. and we'll start to get back to some sort of vaccinated normality where we can hopefully do some more things theatres as we record today uh, hopefully can open in london um with the tier two restrictions um for you personally has this experience and has sort of lockdown made you reevaluate? are you hoping to get back into performing uh and then any sort of other career options that you're now looking at it definitely has made me have a good think um, about everything. It's made me appreciate performing a lot more than I think I ever have in my life. Because like anything, you don't really appreciate it until it's gone, it's taken away. And I think because it was taken away so suddenly as well. Um, I am looking to do my QTS. I have got a position to train as a primary school teacher and gain that qualification. But I'd like to move into doing entertainment, um, educational entertainment specifically for young children. So a bit like what I've been doing at Disney with children, but moving that perhaps onto my YouTube and having cool. that accessible. Because I see a lot of children, you know, have an iPad stuck in front of them a lot. And I think if they were watching something fun, but educational, it would be a lot more worthwhile. So yeah, a slightly different project, but still within the performing um, aspect. Definitely. Nice. Brilliantly segued into, yeah, so you've now set up your own YouTube channel that we will yeah. link all of the stuff to in our social media posts when the podcast is released. Um, yeah, explain a bit about that, what you want to do with it, what you're looking to do um, potentially in the new year and how that's going to work in the future. 
Yeah, so my YouTube is Sparkle with Sophie. Um, and I started doing it um, like makeup tutorials. And then I moved into talking about Disney Cruise Line, which is excellent for if you're a performer and you're looking to either work for Disney or any cruise line, because most of the procedures, you know, they are legal, they tend to be the same. But um, I'm just trying to move it more and more into almost like a vlog of my life, what it's like a life as a performer. Um, and when you are transitioning out of direct performance work and into other things. Um, and then perhaps run a separate playlist of educational, a bit like Big Cook, Little Cook, CBBs, you know, just things that are fun for children to watch, but also very educational. Mm, and I right. think if I have the QTS behind me, then parents can be assured that I know about that level of education. So they're getting something worthwhile. For sure. Great. That sounds all very well planned. Obviously, with that becomes a lot more behind the scenes work as well as just performing. So how have you found sort of running YouTube, sorting your videos out and all of that sort of stuff? I have a whole new respect for you guys' techs. I tell you, a whole new level of respect. I honestly thought so much of it was, you know, graphics and speakers and things. But no, the work that you have to put in just in terms of like the camera angle and the lighting and the making sure the, the um, strength of the mic is adequate you know the background everything comes into it obviously my videos right now um i have bright mirror lights and i have like fairy lights in the background but i'm hoping when i move back to london next year in the summer to have a specific place in my little apartment with a backdrop which is specifically for my videos nice so, yeah i'm very excited sounds great no it sounds like a perfect thing yeah lots of people go into sort of theater and education performance for a young people and I think yeah I think with your experience it sounds like it'd be a really cool thing you've also got Disney and then with the sort of teaching qualification it sounds like it'll be definitely something for everyone to look out for especially anyone that's listening to the podcast that's got young family members or knows people with young children definitely um I'll get them to ping their views your way um so people Thank can sit you. and watch um moving to the final couple of questions uh that we have that we ask sort of every week in every podcast that we've done so far um what do you think i did we go with sort of more optimistic view this series on what are your hopes for the next year for performing arts and sort of performance in general and what do you think the next year could look like for the performing arts industry i'm hoping that um that, that we have some new musicals released, you know, to cater for all the performers that have been out of work and are going to continue to be out of work because obviously you've got a whole new set of graduates that are coming in. Um, I'm also really hoping that the industry comes back with a bang, you know, people because they haven't been able to work, performers are hungrier to get in there to showcase their talents. Um, and also something I'm very afraid of is I'm hoping people don't graduate and immediately give up. Because obviously, like I've mentioned, I know the struggle, um, what it's like to be like when you're a graduate and you've got no money and you're doing a different job, it's very easy to become distracted with that normal nine to five life. Um, so I'm hoping that they don't forget their passion and they don't lose their passion and they can continue performing. Yeah, that's my main thing. Nice. And to end the podcast or end this, the interview, um, what is one piece of advice that you would give for new creatives emerging into the industry from whatever they've done before? Um, something I always find is great is um, go on YouTube and very regularly watch musical theatre songs or watch drama pieces, whatever your niche is, whatever your talent is. If you are a hip hop street hills class dancer whatever it is watch those videos continue to re-inspire yourself remind yourself why you love it look at the new music look at the new techniques just keep up to date with it and just keep that fire and that hunger to keep going because it's very easy um with our society nowadays with this industry to allow other people to convince you that your career is wrong and it's not worthwhile um and it definitely is so don't let other people you know fill you with regret you don't want to be 40 and look back and say why did I do that I think you've got to just go for it nice definitely. great thank you very much that was really nice um that is the end of the interview thank you very much for joining me I hope you've had fun I hope you found it cool 
Um, yeah, uh, we will link all of your social media stuff uh, in our post, and you'll find that all on our social media throughout the course of the week. So the YouTube is Sparkle with Sophie, if you want to go and check that out. Um, there's longer vlogs about all the stuff we talked about with Disney uh, and more specific things about that and actually sort of working for them and how to get involved in it. Uh, and then, yeah, there'll be more sort of educational stuff coming in the new year, hopefully. Um, cool. Thank you for joining me. Thank uh, you very much. No worries. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Bye. And it's time to end the podcast with our new writing this week from our new creative. It's uh, a man that I've had the pleasure of knowing for quite a while now, Mr. James Wood, who I've seen productions of his plays before and they've been amazing. So you're in for a treat to the end of this podcast this week. The piece is a dark comedy that he's been writing a few weeks ago that uh, started due to the sad loss of his black Labrador Molly. And so with mortality on his mind, he penned this piece. The writing process involved a lot of research into the topic, including some email chats between himself and several people in the same position as the man in the piece. Specifically, James would like to dedicate this piece to Gary from Jersey, whose testimony was so passionate and honest that a few of his verbatim quotes snuck all the way into the monologue. I hope you all enjoy, and if that's the right word, and this little story makes you feel something very interesting. There is a trigger warning here for themes of cancer and terminal illness. The piece is brilliantly performed by Ian Alexander. Today I found out I will die soon. Not like tomorrow soon, but yeah, soon. Sooner than I'd planned, anyway. A half hour video call with my oncologist in Cambridge concluded I have a life expectancy of 6 to 12 months, as the nasties growing between my heart and lungs have become terminal. It was a very quick conversation all in all. Half an hour almost doesn't seem like long enough for news like that. I've had longer discussions about what to order from the Chinese. My doctor, Dr. Harris, said that the three months of progress that the salvage chemotherapy had worked to shrink earlier this year has now been reversed. But there are now more, and the likelihood is they will continue to do their thing, possibly making their way to my liver, my brain, and elsewhere in my body. They're inoperable. There isn't a treatment left to get rid of them. They've pumped me with all of the chemicals on the periodic chart and it turns out my life-ending tumours are just too damn good at their job. You almost have to admire their fucking perseverance like a load of little cancerous Atticus finches. Oh, and apparently I'm quite unusual with my oncologist seeing only one such case of this rare cancer each year. Once a year, I said. Well, thank God for that. I don't know if he told me this last part to cheer me up. Make me feel special. Maybe as a sort of shit sandwich technique, you know? Hello, Pete. Wow, your new cabinets look beautiful. So rustic. Are they from, uh, John Lewis? You have terminal cancer. You're dead by Christmas. Gosh, you're so unique, Pete. No one dies like you, Pete. Uh, see you soon, Pete. The only real good news is there is a new chemotherapy treatment that has the potential to add a few extra weeks, maybe months to my life, maybe get me to the new year. But the trade-off is the loss of quality of life due to the side effects. Right now, I'm yet to decide whether to go for it or not. I don't see much point in clawing myself in the 2022 just to say, I made it. Cool. Now I'll die. When Dr. Harris said six to 12 months, I automatically shot back with, I reckon I'll take 12 in that case, Doc. He sort of laughed. Not really. Hearing you're gonna die is odd. I've had friends, acquaintances, people in support groups, all receive that news and I thought at the time I could empathize with their devastating situation. I now know I couldn't. It's a strange, otherworldly experience to think that there may only be one more birthday, one more Christmas, one more wedding anniversary, <laughs> one more strictly final. It immediately washed over me like an overwhelming sea of guilt to think that my husband will be alone at home without me. Well, 
at least for a little while until he finds a muscular tanned 23 year old with some Italian name like Julio promised me he wouldn't I kissed him and called him a liar I just made him promise to swap sides of the bed so he sleeps where I always have I don't want Julio taking advantage of my many years of hard work indenting that memory foam I'll miss our European city breaks our watching Pointless on the sofa our weekend breakfast down the west coast I won't be there to laugh or cry or kiss or smile or jump or run or eat or argue or drink or just snuggle up in his lap. I won't be there. But he still will be. How fucking unfair is that? Having to ring your dad to tell him you're going to die is indescribable. Then your brother then a friend, then another friend, then your vicar. He had to act sad, but that's a job in the bank for him. Then the neighbour, then your boss. I even felt I should mention it to the postman when I saw him. Each time, it's utterly exhausting. The weirdest bit is that, deep down, I've sensed I've been properly, properly dying for around three months now. I just kept putting it off, hoping I'd be wrong. Like, intentionally not checking the post when you just know you got caught by a speed camera on the M11. It's small stuff. I'm just a shade slower. I'm just a shade tireder. My skin is just a shade drier. My pain is just a shade sorer. And on it goes. Incremental, but over time, it adds up. I don't feel good. But I smile my smile. I do my work thing, and when wonderfully kind people say nice things, especially, you look so well, I break a little inside if I'm honest, and outwardly, I just thank them and say, ah, you know, I'm, I'm plodding on. It's my way of trying not to lie to them whilst not burdening them with my woes. Right now, I finally feel able to let that mask slip. Again, it feels selfish. I think that's okay. It's currently 3.42am. I'm absolutely wide awake. I can't sleep. My mind is racing. Do I transfer my life savings to my husband's bank account? What happens to all those air miles I've got? What about loyalty cards? Do I need to ring ZZ's and let them know I'm dying? <laughs> Poor girl on the other end of that phone call. Bit beyond her pay grade, isn't it? Eh, best not. These are just some of the daft, wide-ranging, random questions that pop into your mind at the odd times of the night. I've googled what happens when you're told you're dying of cancer, and I now know the results are absolute dog shit. Apparently, I may be upset. I may get angry. I may find it helpful to cry with my partner. Now, this isn't advice. This is just describing what I'm already doing. That's not useful at all, though I suppose that is what I asked for when I googled the question. Now, damn Google. So efficient and reliable. Unlike my body's immune defence system. Why can't my body be more like Google? Yeah, my body is Bing. After getting no joy from the internet, I decided that I needed to write a book for other people to read as soon as they get similar news to tell them what happens. Then it occurred to me, the last thing you want to do when you're told it will soon be game over is to read a how-to guide, so I've parked that one. The other oddity is how the normal bits of life just continue to happen. Within two hours of being told the news, my husband and I were chatting about what we were going to cook for dinner, and we decided a takeaway was in order. I don't exactly need to worry about my blood cholesterol anymore. We both smiled when I remember the Harry Potters had all just been added to Netflix. We treated ourselves to a bowl of Ben and Jerry's while we curled up and watched the Chamber of Secrets. It was like nothing had happened. I looked at him, though, while he laughed his beautiful socks off at Ron Weasley throwing up slugs into a bucket, and I sank again. My heart breaks at the prospect of the person I love more than any other in this world being cut adrift. It's not fair on him. I feel like the worst partner ever, even though I know that's just self-serving, self-pitying silly talk. 
We lost our holiday to Alicante at the start of this year to my chemo. We rebooked it at the end of my course and lost it to the pandemic. We then rebooked it for this week and the pandemic has put pay to our trip away yet again. A fucking COVID on top of everything else. It sounds so daft, but I just want us both to be on the Mediterranean, on our balcony, or in a cosy corner of a downtown cafe, just letting the world go by while I read a book and he watches the football results come in. Oh shit. That's a point. I guess I probably won't ever go to Stamford Bridge again. I never even cared that much when I could. We always just went for him. Fuck. I'd give anything to go to Stamford Bridge again. I really hope this world reopens in time. We get our chance to do that. Anyhow, I'm rambling, and for that, I apologise. Letting these words spill out of my mouth is helpful, though. It's also currently giving me reason to use the dying word. You know, I've never been a fan of abstract euphemisms like passed on or gone to a better place, as it's always been my feeling that it's delaying the inevitable reality check that somebody is dead. I am dying. I will die. I will be dead. Oh, did you hear? Pete died. Pete? Ridiculously handsome Pete died, did he? Yeah, that's the one. Handsome dead Pete. <laughs> I better go. I've not got long enough left to waste time talking about dying. Fuck that. When I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to make it my duty to just fucking live. Long queues for the co-op. Amazing. That means I can catch up with Barbara about her cross-stitching. Wi-Fi slow? Great. I'll bring out the old Monopoly board for the evening. Scam caller ringing my phone every two days. Sounds like an opportunity to make a new friend. I may be exaggerating at the end there, but you get my gist. I'm not dying, I'm living. It's just that I've got less of it to do, so it's my obligation to make it matter more. Lots of love, handsome, very much alive, Pete. That was a new piece of writing by the wonderful James Wood, beautifully performed by Ian Alexander. And I think that was an amazing piece to end episode two of series two of the Beginner's School Theatre podcast. Do keep up with all of our social media this week. Do keep sharing and liking the podcast. Tell anyone you know about it. If you do want to donate any small change you have, we have got our Kofi page still up and running as well. But that concludes episode two of the Beginner's School Theatre podcast. And as usual, keep safe, keep looking after each other and keep being creative.